Hello and welcome to the Tortoise Shack Sunday Special. Um, this are our weekly catch-up on the news of the week, the events that maybe slipped under the radar and some other stories that just caught our eye. Um, usually that means Caroline's going to say something that embarrasses me. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we'll, we'll, avoid, we'll try and avoid that this week. Um, just to let you know that these podcasts go out live on a Sunday with an with a audience of our Tortoise Shack members. And the reason we do that is because they help keep this show on the road. Uh, if you want to come to the meeting, I want to come along. It's patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. That's patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. And um, just today, I am joined by Caroline West of the Glow West podcast and Linda Hayden of the Packwoman podcast. Uh, we are we are a bit short today and um, Vicky's had a good sense to, to, to go and take a, a day off. But Martin, isn't well and 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 in fairness now he hasn't been well all week uh, I, I would say get well soon but I think it might be good for um, patrons if we can milk it for a bit and say that look we need the support there you know so maybe maybe I'm doing the right thing by by, by uh, trying to get people and you know look can everybody's giving me dirty looks why can't we do this guys I mean, we have to monetize illness no and you keep wishing them dead in the group chat stop it <laughs> Anyway, look, it's it's it would be good for business. Imagine doing the eulogy and, 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 and actually saying it was his, 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 his Tony his, Grove, stop talking. Okay, okay, yes. okay. Look, we've a lot to get to this week. Um we're gonna jump straight in because we are joined straight away on the on the call by Attractive Rin, um, who is a Returning champion, as they say, and 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 this is your third, third or fourth time on on the Tortoise Shack Attractor. But the reason we necessitate this so quickly this morning is because um, you spotted on Friday evening that they're going in on Tuesday at four o'clock on the schedule of Doyle Business. Uh, what appears to be, by all intents and purposes, the ratification of CETA. Um, which is the uh, which is basically the, the free trade deal between Canada and, and the EU, and it makes no sense as to us why we're doing it. No one's looking for it to be done, and it 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 opens us up to, in in effect, giving more powers to corporations who already have uh, plenty of powers. And if the, in Ireland, so attracted, you want to just give us a quick um, summary, if you don't mind, on on the issues as you see them. Okay, thanks for that. Um, it's so important to have this opportunity. So big shout out um, to the Tortoise Shack for, for facilitating this raising of awareness. Literally, I just stumbled across by chance uh, an entry in the Iraq the schedule saying that there were this is going to be a motion from the government to ratify the CETA agreement. Now, don't get me wrong, there's loads of people in Ireland who know how important trade is to us. And, you know, they'll think, you know, trade agreement with Canada, Canadians, nice people, no problem there. And, you know, they'll remember back to a couple of years ago when there was a big controversy about the EU-Canada deal called CETA. Um, and they'll think, you know, you know, there's, there's no big deal here. But there is a huge deal here. I mean, what the implication of the vote on Tuesday is, is that Ireland is basically saying yes to the really controversial element of the CETA agreement, which millions of people, you know, across Europe are really concerned about and which, you know, basically we haven't ever subscribed to in Ireland except under the Energy Charter Treaty. And that is sort of the ISDS style, um, big bogeyman um, type provisions around investor uh, say state dispute settlement arrangements so that big business can effectively sue 
our government for taking progressive policy and regulation. Now, it doesn't mean that our, our government can't take those actions, but it does mean that they can be open to being sued, and that's going to create a regulatory chill. And what I find most shocking about this, regardless of what your view is on the agreement, good, bad or indifferent, are, are on the, those investor state dispute settlement mechanisms um, and how adequate the reforms of them are, etc. It's the fact that this has been done under the cover of darkness, effectively. The lack of public debate, the lack of public awareness, complete fluke, you know, basically with everybody distracted around, you know, the critical focus for our economy on, on the Brexit negotiations, people worrying about Christmas arrangements and COVID, and people absolutely exhausted after what has been a really, really difficult year, that this has just been slid in under the radar. And it's just the, you know, it for me personally, and I am speaking personally here this morning, it is a fundamental undermining of our democracy in every way, not just because of the implications of the massive charges that we, we could end up having to, to, to spend out on it being a windfall for Christmas for big business. But it is it is really just it's that lack of trust in terms of our government just well, not flagging this. Just, just to come in on that, because it's they're using an article in the Constitution, I think it's 29.5.2, to say that they're going to, it won't need to go for to the Shannon, for for example, for any sort of consultation, any sort of amendments to be submitted, any sort of debate, because it, there is a charge on the state, according to that um, article. And in effect, the charge on the state that we're risking is by bringing this in to actually give the, to introduce this court, which in effect will say to corporations, and has happened, there's lots of case, state case law that exists out there that, that shows that a company that says you're inhibiting our right to make profits, um, will give us the right to sue you. So, for example, I know we spoke to Dave, Gib- Dave Gibney about what had happened in Australia about uh, Philip Morris, the, the, the tobacco company, suing to say that your plain packaging was hurting our profits. You know, like, it's crazy um, that we would want to welcome this in when, by all intents and purposes, we don't seem to be under any pressure to be doing it. Why are we doing it? I think that's a really key point. Um, you know, and you're absolutely right. It It is... Basically, the motion's been proposed under Article 29.5.2 of the Constitution. So that means it's it's literally simply a dull vote. Uh, it won't go to the Shannad. Um, and then the, the other thing is, it's like, why? Why now? Like, you know, and why in this way? Why in this way without, you know, facilitating that broader public debate and scrutiny? It's because they're afraid of that. You know, hide something if you're afraid of it being examined and and discussed in plain sight, you know, in the media and by the public and people being asked questions around how this impacts upon the, the Constitution, etc. I mean, that that's the that is the fundamental issue. I suppose, the, you know, if, if we think about earlier this year, like over 600 uh, international organisations signed up to, you know, letters to national governments because of the impact of ISDS style claims uh, on on the public health measures that governments were taking um, to deal with the COVID pandemic. I mean, you know, the chilling effect that companies were basically more concerned, you know, uh, you know, around curtailing government's actions to control the spread of the pandemic is, is exactly the type of mentality that we need to code against here. Um, and and let's, let's not be, you know, in the halfpenny place on this, you know, Justin Trudeau, you know, in 2017 talked about, you know, what country would find uh, 173 billion barrels of oil and keep them in the ground? 
you know, he has talked about the importance of, of the prosperity of Canada, of both traditional and renewable energy in an address he gave in 2017 post the Paris Agreement, you know, uh, you know, on the importance of traditional and renewable energies. Um, and I mean, th th this is the fundamental mentality in terms of the very significant interests that there are in Canada around um traditional fossil fuels, et cetera, and what we might want to do in terms of progressive policies and regulation, particularly in the field of climate change, how will that be, um, you know, chilled, frozen, delayed at a time when we simply cannot afford delay in relation to progressive action and policy and regulation? Can I come in again? Just one point. When, when was CETA 12 years old now, isn't it? The negotiations of, of it have been going on for absolutely forever. So, I mean, and, and that's one of the problems in terms of it was informed by a very different mentality. Um, you know, it was pre-Paris. It was pre just the, the dawning of realisation of how urgent the climate crisis is and how urgent the biodiversity crisis is and how many things that we actually really need to ask uh, act on really aggressively, uh, you know, in, in a very positive and progressive way. So, yes, I mean, the agreement was the, the negotiations finalised there at the end of 2015 and, and the EU basically concluded it. And and it for, from its point of view, it, it has done everything that it needs to do. But the Court of Justice clarified that given the profound implications this has for the role of national courts, because these disputes, basically, nobody, you know, everybody wants a fair playing field, you know, and if a company is unfairly impacted, that it should be able to have recourse. And we have a very respectable and, and highly, you know, uh, effective court mechanism, which has facilitated a massive level of foreign direct investment in this country. And companies haven't been bothered about coming to Ireland, because they know they can go to our courts, and they can trust our courts to do the right thing. This takes them outside of the court system into a special tribunal arrangement. And that is what is really significant. It's not the same as a court. They've put court in the title now, but that doesn't make it a court. Can I can I come in again and just go back to the... the uh, we were on a call yesterday with some really imminent uh, <laughs> people. I was well out of my depth anyway. It was all well over my head. But nonetheless, one of the points was made that... Uh, that in the case in Australia, and again, specific for people listening to get, get, get your head around this, the way Philip Morris successfully sued was they actually set up a brass plate in effect in Japan because Japan had a deal with Australia and they didn't previously have that deal. And then they used that, that vehicle to say, from Japan, you're inhibiting our profits in Australia. So in effect, if we did this with Canada and you were, you were a company in bloody... Albuquerque, New Mexico was pissed off. They could they could register in Canada and come after the Irish state. It's not saying they will. It's not saying it's, it's we're open, but it's just giving the opportunity to do it. And why take that risk is the main thing. Um, just kind of attract. I know we're going to have to move on, but we will come back to this. I promise you. But just in terms of the actual thing, the, the, yeah. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. The, the simple call is postpone the vote. Postpone the vote. Be fair. Be democratic. Be transparent. Don't slide this in under the radar. And basically what we're, we're trying to do is to get people to reach out to their politicians, particularly those in government. You know, if you've got a TD, you know, who, who is in government, reach out to them, put pressure on them. Just their, their basic democratic instinct. This is why we give those powers, extraordinary powers to the Iraqis, is because we trust in them. And that trust has got to be rewarded. They can't slide this in in this way next Tuesday. So there's going to be an uplift campaign on that. 
follow my Twitter stream uh, in terms of other links to, you know, other joint sign up letters. Um, but basically, we have a very small window to act, to ask people for fairness in the Oireachtas to postpone this vote. Otherwise, a government majority asleep at the wheel will sell out our sovereignty and your back pocket for potentially billions at a time when our economy is suffering on the consequences of COVID and Brexit. And we just can't afford this. Um, nobody is asking us to do this right now. There are loads of other countries that haven't ratified this. Nobody is waiting on Ireland to do this and saying, oh, God, Ireland is holding us all up. You know, this is absolutely unnecessary on Tuesday. It is just sleight of hand in my personal view. I find it very interesting that the Minister for Trade, who is Leo Radker, um, is the one who is in charge of this deal and who's, you know, not talking about it, but very busy talking about social media. Um, publicly and you know giving news reports and stuff like that about it so uh, I think we'll touch on that a little bit later but yeah very 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 dodgy what's going on and just bear in mind that uh, Richard Bruton when he was Minister for Trade was one of the 14 ministers that lobbied the EU to include the ISDS in the negotiations on the then TTIP talk and when there was an expose done from the week in politics with a small NGO that I work with um, it showed that there'd been no cost benefit analysis no policy position to, to support that position so you have to say you know I mean what is the agenda here, you know, of successive Fine Gael ministers in relation to this. Well, we kind of know um, they're, 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 they're already on saying that we're anti-trade and that we're anti-jobs, which is obviously uh, couldn't be. We're uh, reminded of, again, that quote, you know, a free trade agreement where the many lose their rights and their protections. The, the few get lots more money and the politicians tell us everybody wins. Um, we'll just move on. Uh, there was a ruling, a decision, Caroline, on the, and I can't even pronounce it properly, the symphysiotomy uh, ruling this week. Can you tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind? Yeah, um, yeah, word I struggle to pronounce and I think I'm still hung over from Friday's uh, <laughs> Patreon party, so I'll struggle again. So symphysiotomy um, is essentially like breaking the pelvis. It's obviously a bit more in, in depth than that, but when someone's in labour, um, this is done to many women in Irish society without their consent or even their knowledge sometimes. Um, there are claims that some people had signed forms, but others had said they hadn't signed any forms. And the forms that they were signing didn't really give in-depth detail of what they're actually consenting to. So um, it was kind of the so the European Court of Human Rights heard the cases that were from 1960 to 1965. Um, obviously, you know, a small section because uh, th these were just three women. So it's, you know, a small enough case. But we know when it comes to women in Irish society, there is a lot more and, and a lot more trauma under the surface. So essentially what they said was... Um, this re really didn't breach um, the human rights, I think it was. Um, I, I, I just, it's one of those cases where I'm just like going, how did you not kind of argue this? But again, it's it's saying something like it's, um, it, it's medical treatment, so it doesn't contribute to inhumane or degrading treatment. And you'd have to prove that, well, the, oh, I'm going to mess this all up. I actually am still hungover from Friday. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're all right. I think what they said was that they hadn't exhausted the full court system that here. Was, yeah. So, but they basically had to prove that, you know, it, it was medically necessary. And it's like, how can you prove that? Like, that's you don't know what's going on in labour because you're not the doctor, so to speak. Do you know, you don't know if the time has come that you need this kind of brutal procedure. And so it's kind of you're asking people to do the impossible and also stand up against the state. To give it a... Dealing with trauma. I want to give it a little bit of context. 
This was done to avoid cesarean sections because cesarean sections were deemed as unnatural and the Catholic Church preferred a cephisiotomy, we all still have it, sorry, um, as opposed to a C-section to in order so that women could have a more natural birth. So it was it was part of just the horrendous treatment of women. And in some countries in Europe, they actually stopped doing this in the 1700s because it was so brutal. And we kept going right up until I know somebody who had it happen in 1995. Yeah, you see, and again, we talk about this on, on, on the podcast all the time. It, a lot of that is about bodily control and bodily autonomy for women. And we just don't like doing it. It's what I keep trying to progress. Slightly more progressive patriarchy, lads. That's the way forward. Um, no. It was interesting to note that they, you know, they said medical treatments will rarely be considered inhumane and degrading. And like, we know that's not the case. Like people with intellectual disabilities have experienced forced sterilization. Black women have experienced forced sterilization in the US. Like, you know, indigenous people in South America have experienced many, many violations against their reproductive rights. And, you know, people have been trialed upon, uh, you know, uh, for medical um, experiments and stuff without their knowledge or consent. So it, it's, it's a bizarre statement to say that it will rarely be considered inhumane and degrading, especially for such a brutal procedure um, such as this, especially, you know, and again, when you bring in the Catholic Church into it and how, you know, these are the good women and all that kind of nonsense, like the stigma around it is just I don't know, like I feel really grateful that these women took that case, but the, the trauma from having to fight that case for themselves must just be inhumane in itself. There was um, uh, Our Lady's Hospital in, in Our Lady Lord's Hospital in Drogheda was one of the places where it was really prevalent. And the, the, uh, the consultant obstetrician there was uber Catholic. Um, and so it was the the procedure of choice there. So like it it just... Just, yeah, Catholic Church and Irish women. I don't think we're done with this, yeah. No, it's not. And that's, um, and I know that there are people in the legal uh, volunteer professions, I suppose, people who are there that aren't done with this yet. So that's the good news is that while this is the judgment, they're certainly not going to just walk away at this stage. Um, can I, I'm going to move us on. We're also joined by Keenan Brennan of the Irish Examiner. And uh, Keenan, if I get you to, to turn on your... Um, Mike there. Uh, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Good to good to see you. Good to see um, you. Listen, one, one, you, you've had a busy week and a lot of it is actually related to, to stuff that we've covered. But one specifically I want to go to is how does it how does a um, entertainment business seem to get the get the contract for to provide ventilators, Keenan? I think it's probably something that can only happen under certain circumstances, such as one where there's a global pandemic, which nobody in our lifetimes has dealt with. And suddenly a health service simply can't source stuff that it would normally be able to take time negotiating uh, the procurement of. So back in March, we were in a very, very, as the whole world was, um, we've seen instances in both America and Britain and across Europe where people were, sorry, where health services were buying things that maybe ordinarily would go through a bit more uh, diligence than was the case here. People were very, very worried about what was to happen and the health service was spending an awful lot of money in a very, very short space of time. Uh, HSB, HSE spent uh, more than a billion in two months uh, on getting PPE. I mean, I'm sure we can all remember the, the mad scramble for PPE at the time and how uh, hospitals didn't have any and nursing homes didn't have any. And uh, we were basically in a situation where 
I think the HSC was willing to listen to anybody. But you, in your story, you've basically uncovered what <laughs> that the procurement process itself. We've had we had issues. We all saw the planes coming in of uh, filled with PPE, and we, you know, as a country, we're celebrating that you know strings were pulled, and we 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 reached out. But we've we've effectively ended up with, with 14 million euro worth of ventilators that have to this day remain unused. And I hate to use hate to say it, the specific the specification of them was wrong. And we're back with a kind of a doll printer kind of scenario here, where we have something that's not fit for purpose. Clarified that they brought in more than just ventilators. Now, yes, absolutely. Yeah, we, we've been asking them. We have asked them for manifests of what was brought in and. According to the company that was behind uh, this particular consignment, uh, there was over 1.5 million pieces of equipment. Uh, that's supposed to have covered uh, ventilators, uh, ICU beds, PP, and other devices. But So I, I, it wouldn't be quite fair to say that the entire 14 million was for ventilators, but a great proportion of it was. Ventilators are expensive things. Mm. Um, as regards where they are and what we're doing about it, that, that's as yet an unknown. Uh, the HSC say that they're in negotiations with the company in question as regards uh, resolving the issue. I don't know if that's a legal thing or not. Um, and the company itself says that it was an issue with the calibration of the ventilators and that they put the HSC in touch with the manufacturers in China. And again, we don't know what the outcome of that is. But um, certainly we know one thing for certain. Uh, the ventilators that came in were never used. Um. <sighs> it's again i hate to go on about it but it's we saw like you know the ppe that wasn't fit for use the, the sleeves were too short the masks weren't to a standard we but again I, I don't want to blame people because in the middle of a crisis the world was at this we saw planes where they were landing and that were supposed to go on to other places that simply got commandeered by other co- countries you know the sovereign states were, 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 were actually seizing as much ppe as they could at the time so uh, mistakes were made but it's just getting this ad- address now um seems to be thing and you, you seem you seem to be coming up against a bit of a brick wall in terms of the hsc and what's been done to rectify it yeah, well the hsc is like most state bodies if you ask the right question and um, you might get the right answer. Um, they're going. They're obviously going to be pushed a bit further on this, so we'll hear more. I um, I don't think this is the last you'll hear of the story, for instance. Um, so I don't think a brick low a brick wall is fair, but it's very it's not very often that you'll ask a state body a question and get an absolute ream of information back. You'll uh, you'll probably have to keep pushing. Um, we know more than we did uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, so so that's something I'd say. We'll keep going. Yeah, well, look, I mean, these stories are really, really important that we do because we, like, I, I actually look in the audience and I was getting embarrassed, but there's there's people on there talk who are who are know the same about procurement in in the construction industry, and you know we're seeing a case where this week, uh, homes built not for profit for one hundred and fifty thousand in in parts of the country, and we're being told that yet one of the local authorities is building them for three hundred and fifty thousand. We need to know what is going wrong with procurement in this country across several departments. So the work is really, really important. Um, do you mind if I ask you Keenan though about a, a case that's really close to our heart on this podcast and that is that of the prison whistleblower Noel McGree who we had on this week to talk about his experiences of making protective disclosures and I know you covered in again this week in the Irish Examiner what were the events like around the public accounts committee in terms of the prison service well so the prison service came in on Thursday justice had their day on Wednesday mm-hmm. um it, see, the Public Accounts Committee is in a tricky position. It is, 
ever since what happened with Angela Kearns, it's had its remit scaled back quite a bit because the state can't really afford to have the Supreme Court coming down on top of it again like this. Uh, so what you've got is you've got the prison service coming in. You've got the likes of Mark McCharry, who was on the previous pack, who wants to follow up on questions about whistleblowers and an agency nurse who was allegedly sexually harassed uh, in a prison. And he wants to ask about these things. And the current members of the pack, most of whom are um, their new TDs and they're just finding their feet. And they kind of, they have their remit of public accountability. And the prison service came into that meeting and they wanted to talk about uh, catering because mm. that's what the Comptroller and Auditor General raised. And it was, and there's a, a huge amount of waste obviously going on with catering in the prison services. So they came in, that's what they wanted to talk about. And a lot of TDs were very happy to do that. But uh, McSharry, for instance, is one who has done a lot of work in fairness to him um, with whistleblowers and uh, with the, the agency nurse in question. And he wanted to talk about that. And the only answer he could get is it's not appropriate to, uh, to discuss um, anything that involves a named individual. Then he took the whistleblower you mentioned, Noel McGree, and he said, I'm going to read his name into the record because he's given me permission to do so, so we can discuss his case. And nevertheless, the Director General of the Prison Service, uh, Karen McCaffrey, and the Sec Gen of Justice, Una McPhillips, stuck to their guns, which was, it, it wouldn't be appropriate for us to discuss this. Now, what I think is the real problem with the pack at the moment is they just don't have the time. Um, when you've got these guys in, if you keep them in for you know two sessions, morning and afternoon, three hours each, you will eventually start to get answers because it's just very hard to stonewall for that long. But uh, on Thursday, really very precious, precious little of anything uh, came out of it, yeah. to be honest with you. It was, it was a bit of a stonewall fest. Ina, can I ask a question? Um, did they, you know, because they were talking about catering and, you know, obviously there's a lot of waste in catering. Did anybody actually point out the fact that the reason why there was so much waste in the catering was because somebody was using it for their private pay- catering company. Was, uh, no, I'm not. Well, I'm not sure if, <laughs> if that uh, that particularly came up. They would have dealt specifically with what the the CNAG was saying. So you were you were getting some juicy stuff. Uh, of an awful lot of it came out of the Midlands uh, prison in Port Leash, where they were ordering Fun- in. Uh, funnily enough. Uh, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> which has the highest spend per prisoner per day in catering, which is obviously just a, a metric to show which is uh, which prisoners are spending most. And they were bringing in, um, I don't know, rump steak and prosciutto and <laughs> all, all sorts of mad stuff. Uh, but uh, again, the prison service went in there with their stock laid out. We're going to stop this from happening. This is how we're going to do it. We're getting rid of um, the voluntary prison assistance fund and the like. And they had a, they had it well scoped out how they were going to handle things. And from that point of view, the whistleblower stuff probably nearly helped them because they didn't answer any questions and it got them through maybe 20 minutes that they didn't have to spend talking about other stuff. Yeah, I am just not just again, this isn't really for you, Keenan, but if you speak to Noel McGree, he, he was head of the catering. He was the senior um, prison officer in, in the catering section. And when he made his allegation of corruption and his and his initial protected disclosure, it was about um, a misappropriation of, of stuff and use of prisoners themselves in in that section. And all and what important to point out again that at all stages Noel has been vindicated where whether it's been through the you know the WRC or internal disputes mechanisms. It's simply a case that um as he as he puts it, that his protected disclosures being 
the anonymity within them actually not being honoured has resulted in the end of his career. Um, and that's the that's the the question that that hangs in the air, and I think we all hope will be answered in the coming days. That some some there will be some sort of way of getting some sort of expo- exposure to this. And I know Noel himself uh, and his and his family have suffered a great deal because of this. They've lost, and I believe and Antoinette, his wife, puts it better than I can. She said, "We are a prison. We are a prisoners in our own town um, ever since." So, uh, look. We'll, we'll actually, Linda, I'm going to go to you just on the, um, it kind of comes to that in the same, same topic in a way, people who are prisoners in their own, in their own um, space. And, and we're seeing it now more and more. The discourse on social media has been pretty toxic, but we're mm-hmm. seeing private individuals now and warring with, uh, fact, with actual political accounts that are being campaign accounts and there's there's doxing going on and there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on do you want to just give us uh, your sense of that yes so um this is in relation to uh, myself and roman shortall it's happened to both of us um a couple of months ago uh the uh, finnegale um branch account uh accused me of being a troll and even though I have my name and all my contact details, including my email um, in, and my own picture on, on my profile. Um, so, yeah, they accused uh, me of being a troll and were trying to like get people to pile on to me. And then um, they blocked me. So I was kind of like, this is very unnecessary. And, you know, it was literally just because I was being critical of Leo Radker, particularly around the cervical smear check um, and the fact that uh, he had promised that he wasn't going to drag people to court and he had. So um, anyway, that was fine. Roman Shortall, um, who is a, a friend of the show and, and a good friend of mine, um, this week had the exact same account uh accuse him of, of stuff and again people said it's not appropriate for a government party a branch of a government party to be attacking a private citizen like this it's not on um and so that that went forward and what happened was um friday night uh there was a, a an anonymous account now we know who it is um we've we've been told by several people who know who it is um that it is a finnegal activist uh who literally went and found information about a business that roman was involved in in the uk and they they put out details of roman's address and his business partner's address um and, and you know they they were trying to claim that they had redacted it but they they didn't there was one picture where they redacted it and another picture where they they printed not just the full name and address of, of Roman's business partner who is not on Twitter not not involved not anything to do with this they had trawled his Facebook account found stuff that they they thought was very controversial uh, like this is not Roman this is his ex-business partner um and they also printed Roman's wife's name and as I said their their full former address so this is a family with small children um, and there was a contact made last night through the website of the the former business literally threatening Roman so this is the kind of stuff that's happening now yeah um, I see here's the thing I, I find it very difficult um, I can when it's an official part, political party account I agree they, they shouldn't be engaging in that when it's their attack dogs it's it's a, it's a much more difficult thing and i mean that that's people on their own 
volition or maybe it's not but it's the same sort of you know we have to be mindful there that's where the terms have come from for these you know uh, the flying monkeys that people send out to to, mm. to do it and whether it actually is but I, like I don't I don't know. Like I, I asked the question yesterday on social media of what's newsworthy and what's not in, in, in particular in relation to tweets, because, I, I, you know, I mean, you know, and again, we have to be careful with, with defamation. But but there is mm. there's facts here. There, there There's facts that there are very large accounts that that, you know, are very popular um, and publishing statistics that were seen to be pro uh, government that were shared by government sources, shared by very senior people, including the then Taoiseach, now Tanish, the, um, and, you know, that account has admitted in writing several times that, you know, for for basically taking money theft has, has, has actually admitted fraud, fraud has, has, has but has admitted it. And none of this is newsworthy. But, you know, and again, I'm not saying that the, it's not newsworthy that someone shared 9-11 conspiracy theories, but but they did. They shared 9-11 conspiracy theories and we got three days out of it in, in the in the in, in, in across the media. So it just it just worries me that who where's the bar set? And I, I, I see Keenan is probably looking at the ground. going, I, I don't know where it is, you know, uh, but where is the standard? Where is the what's the the fact of this is. Like whatever about the anonymous account that doxed him, that's completely wrong. And, you know, we will deal with that through the Gurdy because that is harassment. What happened was harassment. But the Fine Gael branch account, that's a different story. That's twice now. And and Roman, I know, has has contacted Minister Brophy to ask um, for uh, clarification as to who that is um, because he wants to make a complaint to SIPO about it. I've also contacted Mr. Bro- Minister Brophy and asked to know who it is because I actually want to do a subject data access request to see exactly what else has been said about me. So there's a number of different things about this. You know, like this is a branch of Fine Gael. Somebody in a branch, somebody high enough in a branch of Fine Gael to have run the Twitter account is saying these kinds of things and actually trying to get people to pile on individual citizens. And we're nobodies, like we're not anybody's. So, you know, this is the kind of stuff that we need to uh, be you're, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're a part of the Twitterati these days, you know, what can oh, I tell no. you? Woke lefty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, lefty. It kinda, it, it's a bit concerning though with the news of the new spin doctor coming from the sun. And like the sun is a very particular kind of, it can be even, I'm not even going to call it a newspaper rag is probably the thing, but it just seems, it seems very Trumpian. It's very like reactionary. It's just like divide and conquer kind of stuff. And it's just, there's going to be sleaze. Like I can almost see like sex scandals coming in down the line because that's apparently going to be fair game. It just feels like, like you're asking where the bar is, like it's in the gutter, you know, yeah. it just it, like none of and this we- is respectable politics at all. We did have a, somebody threaten to put a video out of of a prominent um, TD last week and everyone piled on that person and said, that is not acceptable. You know, what, pe- what grown consenting people get up to in their own time is up to them. And also, if you have concerns that there has been illegal activity, you go to the guardie. That's it. That's yeah. what you do. I like that people did name it as like again. It's not revenge porn. It's image-based sexual abuse. Again, and, well, yeah. and I would never, ever, ever, in you know, encourage anybody. If you do that, you're engaging in image-based sexual abuse. We've talked about this enough. Yeah, 
Like given just like it was like a week after everything had happened and we're gone, have you not read a newspaper or like a tweet lately to think that like, you know, you're like, read the room like this isn't acceptable behavior, but it just seems to be getting very personal and nasty and dirty mm. and sleazy. Well, like, like just just the last thing, Linda, you're right to point that out. And it is there are like there are anonymous accounts with of all political colors, right there. They're of all political colors and use. Um, there are some that are actually more be- are better at it than others, and then there are others that are actually organised. But you know, I find it quite irritating when you hear statements from the Tanisha this week telling the Washington Irish program that that there's a polarisation on social media, and and you know they're they're actively engaging in his own his own party a, a, a party. A, official party account is actively engaging in it. So again, uh, I, I, but I see it everywhere and that you know it's in trouble when Ono Brin himself had to come out and say what was happening with, with Sinn Féin members uh, speaking out was not helpful as well. So, you know, it, everybody has to be cognizant of it. I, I'm also afraid and uh, I'm terrified of this idea that there's going to be some sort of uh, new regulatory uh, requirement on, on social media because I'm not so sure that they'll think through what they mean by uh, hate speech and what's meant by this and, and who actually gets to who gets to write it and, and what it what it actually infers then, you know. But even as part of that, just to be very aware, the harassment bill that is coming out, which we've had considerable input into from the Victims Alliance and much thanks to the TD senators, everybody who who listened to us on that. But there was concern about that in terms of um, the harassment piece was very narrow and restrictive and it could actually leave it open that you cannot publicly criticize politicians. We need to be very careful of that. Very um, careful of it. Can we? We're just going to move on, then we will come back to the the wider issues with the with the audience as well. Um, so, guys, put any comments, throw them into the into the chat now. Um, just in terms of the week that was, Caroline, who's your uh, who's your hero? My hero of the week is our Shaq cheerleader, which is Bear Grogan. Um, oh, would you all stop? She wins it every week. I know, because she's amazing, though. No, t- today she's organised a basket brigade. And I think this year they've helped out 150 families with food mm-hmm. hampers and a couple of toys and bits and bobs and stuff. And, you know, that might not mean something to some of us. We might be lucky enough to afford a few things. But for others, you know, like... I've had moments where I couldn't afford her all the toilet paper and had to steal it from work. So it means a lot to a lot of people and it brings back a little bit of dignity as well to and stress relief in people's lives. So some of the feedback has been saying, oh God, I can actually sleep a bit better tonight knowing that I have this parcel on the way. So thanks. So I just really appreciate Bear for doing that and, and bringing that into people's lives and actually giving up so much time and effort and dealing with people like me who didn't read the emails um, and <laughs> caused her stress that way. So uh, yeah, absolutely Bear all the way sorry i'm gonna second that you're just um, gonna you're just gonna go with with, with bear as well well Do, yeah because does, no I one, went... does no one get the emails that i say where you can nominate me yeah no, no we don't, no, <laughs> we, no, don't we, read do. Them. we do get them i and... just don't read them yeah <laughs> anymore um no. the reason why i'm going with bear is not only has she organized the basket brigade but uh, a couple weeks ago on twitter i put a call out for a family um where uh, there was kids not going to get Christmas presents um Bear was instrumental in actually getting care packages sent up to that person um and uh, a huge donation and um vouchers and stuff like that so not just is she looking out for those 150 families and making sure that every year that because this is what the fourth year I think of the basket brigade um 
but she also really helped out that particular family for me and I will never forget it and she's a national treasure and we should give her all of the awards I think okay well I'm just going to actually and because it's not just because she's there but attract the you you're you're the hero of the week because you caught the 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 see well again it helps to have someone who is so bloody uh, pedantic enough to read these things and pick up on the actual points exactly. that people miss out on. <laughs> no, because we wouldn't be mobilized. I wouldn't have found myself amongst all those people yesterday evening trying to do to actually have this conversation if you hadn't picked up on it. So so it's a real credit to you. And you know what? We, we will push this now. Um just going to, I think we'll leave it there for, for the listeners who are going to be here for the actual, uh, who, who haven't paid on patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. You should, you need to chip in and come to these shows. Um, we, but we are going to kick, we are going to kick off and go back to it. So look, guys, we'll talk to you guys next week, but we're going to carry on with, with the rest now. Um, 